Miss Melissa Carpenter has our special this morning. Awesome message, and uh, as we get ready to head back to school, uh, that uh, message and song is just as powerful no matter what you're facing in life, and uh, whether it be you describe it as mountains or valleys, knowing that God is there. A lot of you, probably like me, have memories of whenever school started back again. I remember it seemed like school. is it would last forever. I remember summers seemed like an eternity, and now they are just a blink. Uh, I'll never forget growing up, I mean, get these brand new jeans. I mean, they're black and blue, and uh, and then they would be iron with starch, and they'd be stiff as a board, and we'd wear them to school, and it uh, just it wasn't designer clothes. You only had one choice of tennis shoes and uh, just 
I had black tennis shoes with white stripes on the side, and that was it. And uh, so I remember when the first pair of Nikes came out, we didn't even know how to say the name, and uh, much less, uh, you know, what it meant. The word Nike actually means victory, and uh, pretty neat uh, the way it all got started. But anyway, back to school memories, and then you the getting brand new books. And how many of you, I saw it the other day, I had forgot about this for so long, and then Dad sent me one of these emails that had the nostalgia. But how many of you remember when you got to school using a paper sack to make a book cover? Anybody remember that? Putting book covers, I mean, on, yeah. The kid's like, what? And, uh, yeah, we had to take a paper sack, cut it just right so it, when you folded the book closed that it wouldn't tear uh, the the cover and you know everybody had to make their own covers for their books and just some neat memories so now you know if you're in high school it's uh you know kids uh, 16 years old uh driving two hundred thousand dollar cars and uh, i'm a little hyperbole there but uh and then cell phones and everybody's got this and it's a comparison game and uh and then elementary school and and discipline has gone out, so te- teaching today is ten times different than it was years ago. It's just a total. It's a different culture. The culture that I and those older than me grew up in. I don't think that culture will ever be again. I just it's a, a certain culture in, in America and that atmosphere. Not to say that this one can't be great. And so, but there's some things that we can learn in this back-to-school uh, series. Finding out about teachers, just a pretty pretty neat deal. Uh, remember the first time whenever we uh, was, you know, we had one teacher that taught us all the subjects, and you go to junior high, and then you have to swap classes? Really? You're kidding. Swap classes? This is going to be a challenge. And so just a, a lot of neat memories and thinking back. If you uh, think back and of course, we have some in here. We need to quiz them after church. That so some of the uh, ones in here in our uh, building right now had the one-room school system. Y'all remember that? Back? I'm just kidding. And uh, remembering way far back there, so we can go way back yonder. But to hear in their memories, and it's totally back, uh, different in every generation, school system and growing up. First Timothy chapter four and verse twelve. Let's all stand for the reading of God's holy word. Getting ready for school in our imaginary chalkboard on the screen. And as we look to this, the Word of God says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Father, help us to pray for our young people and pray for all those, whether it be from elementary to college that are headed back to school, all of our teachers. Uh, Father, that you would help us as a church to stay connected because this generation Need you now more than ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Timothy was a young man 
uh, sold out to the Lord. He loved the Lord with all his heart. He had a he had a tough upbringing uh, growing up in a in a mixed family. Half uh, excuse me his his uh, mom being a Jew and his dad being a Gentile. So he came up in a society where uh, he was of mixed nationality. And so he had, it, he had it pretty tough. And when he had gone to churches that he would speak at, Paul tried to set him up. Matter of fact, he said, you know, well, you know, you're not circumcised and you're not this and you're not that. And so if you go to the Jews, hey, listen, you need to be this way. Remember how they're thinking now. And if you're around the Gentiles, obviously you was raised and you know how they're thinking. And, and so, but he, other than all the challenges he faced, he loved the Lord. And right now, no matter whether we're 6 or 66 or 86, no matter our age here, we face the same things that we're going to look at from God's Word this morning. Some challenges our society puts on us and our flesh puts on us. So, you know, we've dealt with this our whole life. Some of us have gotten better. Some of us haven't learned at all about how to deal with these struggles. And, you know, here we read in chapter 4, and I just want to head over to uh, chapter 6 here, and this is where we're going to be getting the, the meat of the message right here. Struggles with contentment. Let's just start off here. Struggles with contentment in verse 6. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6, this is a pretty short verse. You could probably memorize this this morning and say, hey, I memorized a verse. But godliness with contentment is great gain. That's, that's something that says right there, godliness with contentment. Now, that's something we have a struggle trying to differentiate. What is godly? You know, that's an, that's an adjective here. Godliness it describes somebody. Am I a godly person? What does that mean to be a godly person? Well, it means this, that, that my life reflects God. My life reflects Him. Godliness, so I'm, my aim is for the Lord. I'm trying to live and then also have to learn to be content. Learning to be content means that I'm satisfied with what I have. If you have a... a uh, a 10-year-old pickup, you say, well, I just don't have to be satisfied with a 10. But some people aren't content. And I, I've always got to have the latest and the greatest. And that a lot of it has is pressure from society. And we'll deal a little bit with this more in just a second. But the Bible says one of the biggest struggles, and that's why it says it's great gain, Godliness with contentment is great gain because why? Because you're headed in the right direction and you've learned that I don't have to bow to the pressures of this life. I don't have to always have the latest and the greatest. I don't have to have the newest and the best. So learning to be content. Content means this. Content means I'm at peace. Um, uh, I feel completed. Contentment means that I'm, uh, I realize that I have all I need. I love the way the country preacher put it whenever he was talking about the very famous Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the country preacher said, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all I need. Okay? 
So in other words, if I have the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all I need. So this is the same thing reflected here, thinking about contentment. Let's move on to the next verse, which is uh, very interesting because they go hand in hand. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Which just means this, that life is temporary. Um, I've got a reference in my Bible that may be in yours over to the book of Job where it says, Naked I came into the world and naked I shall return. The Lord hath gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, Job said that knowing that we came into this world with nothing. There's, as the old saying uh, goes, sometimes you never see... uh, a U-Haul behind a hearse. You can't take anything out of this life. Everything in this life is temporary. The sooner we get that in our brains, the sooner we get that, we're, we realize that we've only got one shot at life in serving Jesus, serving the Lord is what it's all about. Some people think that life is about them themselves. Life is about me. Life is about you. But it's not. The sooner I can realize that the only things that last are the things that last in eternity. Have you ever thought about that? Even Jesus, how did he say it? Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. There's probably no more of a worse feeling than somebody stealing from you. I'll never forget, I was working at a copper tube mill in Bossier City, Louisiana. And um, Lennox uh, Air Conditioning Company there in Bossier City, we made copper tubing. And I had saved up and saved up. I, re- I wanted a real nice Seiko watch. This is before the days of cell phones. We didn't have, there was the only way to tell time is you had a watch. And so I saved up and uh, got a nice, I really, I was so excited. And I, can't, I worked seven days a week, and I was pastoring a church. And, uh, and so I got, I preached my Sunday evening message, and I lived an hour from Lenox. So I drove an hour from after church, and I started to work at 11, working straight graveyard. And I realized I still have my watch on. I didn't think anybody was looking. And so I took my watch off, and I put it in my lunchbox inside one of them. Uh, I hid it under a napkin and uh, said, well, if anybody looks in here for my sandwich, they won't see it. Well, somebody must have seen me do that. As I went to eat lunch, no more Seiko watch anymore. I was like, man, I just felt. But everything in this life, whether it be a car or a watch, is temporary. It's just stuff. Listen very closely. The sooner... You will, if you say, I struggle with contentment, I always would love to have something new or different, you realize everything in this life is temporary. And the only things that matter are things that matter in eternity. That's all that matters. It's laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So, struggles with contentment. Then there's one last thing. What do we hit? I, I put on here, well... And having food, verse 8, and having food and raiment, let us therewith be content and give me a great cell phone. Yeah, that'll make my life content right there. So, (laughs) 
I need food, clothing, and a great cell phone, and I'll be happy <laughs> in life. But then, wait a second, after two years, are you ready for the upgrade? <laughs> you know, that's why, oh, wait a second, how much longer before the upgrade? How much longer before I can get a new cell phone? We're never can, I just need food and clothing, but, you know, how many people do you know, you know, this little device always, whenever I have it in church, I either turn it off or put it in airplane mode and, and use my Bible on it or whatever, and, you know, that, it's great. There's nothing wrong with having a great cell phone, a uh, smartphone or what have you. Neat device is just a tool and at expense, really. But you know what? Could you, could you? Matter of fact, Karen and I were talking about having a media-free day. I was reading a, a blog the other day about having a media-free day. What if you have a day where you just say, no electronics for a day could you could you could that be possible you know and then uh when matter of fact i was talking we were talking about could you could people live without a smartphone and uh was picking at caleb because he said i did it for six months of course he had no choice because of his grades and uh so no, he said, no problem. He, he said, he can stand up and testify this morning that you can live without a smartphone and be a teenager in Hamburg High School. And he, he, he said, I, no problem. I've done it. Didn't have much choice in the matter. But, and, uh, but you know, what, what it is is we become used to things and we miss out. We realize that life boils down. To a relationship with God. It says in having food and raiment. It doesn't say anything in that verse about cell phones, does it? And I say that because in our society, that's a big deal. You say, well, that's not a big deal to me. Well, just you got to know where these young people are struggling. This pressure, they see it. They see it. And there's other pressures too. I mean, we can talk about all kind of other pressures that our young people are facing. They face a bunch of them. More pressures than what I'm naming but there's just these little pressures, pressures to be like everybody else, pressures to wear uh, American Eagle clothing or this kind of clothing or that kind of clothing. I've got to, I'm, there's pressure. I've got to match. I've got to fit in. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. There's struggles with contentment. Well, next, there's struggles with comparison. Keep going. Verse 9. All right, still talking about these struggles, but they that will be rich, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. It's a trap to compare yourself with others. I put also in there drowning men. Uh, gambling is one of those things. Uh, so many people try to try to justify that with where uh, lottery money is going and this and that, but all that is is a tax on the poor. As I, you know, if they, if they take it away, we'll find a way for scholarships for kids. We'll, it'll, it'll figure it out. You know, there'll be a way, but so many people want to, it'd be kind of like saying, well, you know, well, I'm so thankful that, uh, and I think we all need to, uh, drink and smoke because there's good taxes on drinking and smoking. So that'd be the same logic if you say, I'm in support of gambling because of where the money goes. Well, you can use the same logic 
on drinking and smoking. I think we all need to drink and smoke because there's good tax money there and what it goes to support. That's about stupid logic right there. Okay, and so you can, if you want to use that kind of logic right there. But the thing is, it says if you go that way, if you, but all it is, gambling is, all it is, is a desire to get rich quick. And the Bible warns again, yeah, there's no verse in the Bible that says thou shalt not gamble. But it does warn so many times about the desire to get rich quick, the desire to, to, to get rich uh, without working. And uh, those kind of things. And so it says it's a trap. They that will be rich fall into what? Temptation. A snare. Everybody knows what a snare is. A snare is a trap, okay, that drowns men. Well, the next verse is probably one of the most misquoted verses in all the Bible. You ask people on the street, there are people that may not go to church that often, or even people that go to church, and you say, what is the root of all evil? And a lot of times people will say, money is the root of all evil. But that's not what the Bible says, is it? The Bible says the love of money. Matter of fact, this verse, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So many times decisions have been made concerning families and young people that we... You know, I, you know, I've seen it time and time again, and I've seen it where somebody makes $25,000 a year, and they say, if I just had a little bit more, you know, I could be happy. Then I meet somebody that makes $100,000 a year, and they say, well, if I just had a, a little bit more, I could be happy. See, it's the love of money. It's, just, it's, it's not what you do have and being content with what you have. So many times it's the, it's the love of, if I just had a little bit more, so first off, comparison saying, I wish I had a car like them. I wish I had a, a house like they do. I was reading a, uh article here not too long ago about uh, after World War II and soldiers came back from World War II and, and people started moving into the cities and getting jobs and going to work and building houses. And it's kind of like, you know, you know, Pickett, Michelle and them and Chuck about the name keeping up with the joneses and uh so that's that we kind of got that phrase keeping up you could say that about any name keeping up with the smith keeping up with the joneses it's kind of like this you see what somebody else has you think oh if i just had that did you know the bible even warned about that in the old testament it says to not covet what your neighbor has and to learn to be content with what you have so what is what is that comparison Oh, I've seen, and see, when you get in a school system, there is comparison after comparison after comparison. One of the, and then real quickly before we move on from this point, the number one problem in all of marriages is money. Money, you know, and all of this comes with, uh, there's several common denominators with marriages that struggle. But one of the biggest things is, and if you, there's going to, obviously you've got to have finances and you're going to have bills and you're going to uh, struggle at times in your marriage and in your life. There's so many people that they get married and there's no plan. Maybe they were never taught about budgeting or balancing a checkbook. And some people learn the hard way. Some people, it takes years for them to recover from mistakes they've made or what have you. 
But you know what it also comes down to? I've seen it. I've seen marriages break up and struggle over money and break up and struggle over intimacy, break up and struggle over family. But it comes down to they stop talking to each other. Now, I put this slide up here, and it says work on your money problems as a team. Marriages struggle when you when there's no I in team. Marriages struggle when you stop talking. You stop, and usually the only talking is arguing or yelling, screaming. That's not communicating. And you say, well, what if the other person won't communicate? And then, well, somewhere along the way it broke down, it gets real complicated after that. And it's hard. You've got to start communicating again, when it, whether it becomes money or family or finances or intimacy or ever what the situation is. That's the number one problem, money. Struggles finally with compromise. We'll end with this point. In First Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11, it says, But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Flee means to run. Right off the bat, you see a phrase there, O man of God. And I, and I look back, and I just want to hit these two uh, uh, passages real quick. And uh, Ezekiel. And uh, chapter 22, and we hit this one here the other day. And Ezekiel 22:30, and then uh, all the way back over here, the very famous verse in the book of Joshua. And Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. Let's just hit these real quick because it talks about the man of God. And in Ezekiel 22:30. The word of God says, and I sought for a man among them that should stand up, that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. God's looking for you. Will you be a man? And it says, oh, man of God. And whether we're talking, if you're 16 or 66 or no matter your age, could you say, you know what? I'll stand up for the Lord. We're living in a time where it's getting harder and harder. Matter of fact, Joshua said it this way in Joshua 24 and verse 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's going to take a, it's going to take a tough stand today to say, you know, to learn to say, no, I've met parents who can't say no to their kids. Just go, do, you know, drink, cuss, live any way you want to live. Just, just don't die or something like that. If you're going to drink, let me drink under my supervision. If you're going to have sex, use contraceptives, you know, or this and that. That's kind of like saying, let's play Russian roulette. Just use a 22, you know, or something like that. That's crazy ideology, crazy logic that's going out there. You know, think about it. So many parents that won't take a stand and young people learn not to take a stand because their parents or their grandparents won't take a stand. It's crazy to say, live any way you want to. Here in Ezekiel, he was looking for a man to stand up and say, I will defend my house and my country according to God's design. 
He was looking for them. And what does it say in Ezekiel? I couldn't find anybody who would do that. And then Joshua, he's over here. I'm old. I'm getting there. But you know what? I don't care my age. Joshua said at the end of Joshua 24, it was the very end of Joshua's life. But he said, you know what? I'm taking care of things at home. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Folks, today we compromise and we're not content because nobody will take a stand. Nobody will say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So many times we lose focus and we lose our children. We lose our grandkids. Because it's simple. Just say no. I've taught this and preached this. If your children throw a fit about what you said to do or not do, that's good parenting. <laughs> that's good parenting if it's based upon the Bible. Okay? So you can learn to say no. Learn to say no more. Learn to give a time to come in. Communicate well. And if you make a mistake as a parent or a grandparent... Say you're sorry. Apologize. Because you know why? You're showing them the right example. And you're setting an example of humility and brokenness, which is what I talked about a little bit at the end of last Sunday's message. So I'm supposed to be a man of God. I'm supposed to flee comparison with the world. Lack of contentment, the love of money. I'm supposed to follow after what? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. It's a spiritual battle. It's going to come down to you. It's going to come down to you. What decision will you make? What will you do with Jesus as we prepare for a hymn of invitation? We get ready for a song. Our young people need our prayers, but just as important, they need to see us turn into Jesus. They need to see us praying to Jesus. If you can boldly say this morning and say, I know Jesus as my Savior. Let's not have a home where you haven't talked to your spouse about uh, when you got saved. I was uh, visiting with somebody the other day and they They uh, said, you know what, I've, I've never heard my spouse's testimony. Hmm. That's a great thing to share. Share with your spouse. You, you say, it just may not have come up. Well, this is uh, God reminding me to remind you. Share your testimony with your spouse. Talk about Jesus together. It's, if it's a tough subject to talk about, it's also a good one.
Talk to your spouse about their testimony, about their relationship with the Lord. Pray together. Our young people are watching. They're struggling, by the way. You say, well, my, my young person, has no, they struggle. They have their good days, and our young people, even our kids, and we try really, Karen and I do not have a perfect home. And we fuss, and then we make up. That's the fun part, yeah. <laughs> and you know what? But they see it all. They see us love each other. They see us care for one another. They see us apologize to one another. They see us talk about spiritual things together. Openness. Communication. The only things that matter are the things that matter in eternity. 